right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sala here, got an interview coming shortly with Twitter star Michael Kim. Uh, enjoyed really, really nerding out with him. This one's for sickos only uh, as uh, we talk you know, a little bit about, a lot about the golf swing actually, some ups and downs he's gone through, what he's learned in that process, a little bit about what's going on in the golf world. But uh, self-described as a mule, great to hear from a mule on a lot of these topics as well. Great conversation with Michael. I want to give a shout out to our friends at Roback Activewear. We are deep into fall, quickly approaching the holiday season. Roback is ready, fresh off new stocks of our favorite polos, hoodies, and Q-zips. Trust us when we say there isn't better gear for the remainder of fall golf. The fit, the feel, the quality, it's all perfect. It's great to wear around the house, too. You know, It's not just for golf. Definitely not just for golf. They also just released their brand-new Performance Cruise. They are soft and so comfortable. TC had one on yesterday. I was very envious of it. It's breathable. It's got lightweight fabric. It's also got perfect stretch. Great for the course or a night out. You know they've got the best performance hoodies. I don't need to tell you about these. My favorite hoodies to wear around the house. Fabric is so soft, we can't take it off. The baby loves to nap on rowback hoodies. Let me, let me, I can, can confirm that. Uh, you can pair these bad boys up with the new rowback five pocket pant. Cannot wait to get my hands on some of these. Everything that we have ever touched uh, that rowback has made has been just fantastic. So now that it is the holiday season, load up on some rowback for both yourself and for others. Use code NLU at rowback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's R H O B A C K. Dot com 20% off bottoms, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. Get ready for the holiday season with Roback. Here's Michael Kim. All right, we're about five months late on this one. We uh, originally scheduled this interview for June 6, 2023. It turns out uh, some things happened on that day, and it got lost in the shuffle and uh, kept getting bumped and bumped, and we decided to make this an off-season one. But what 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 spurred you becoming a, a one of golf's biggest Twitter influencers, if I may say? You're you're one of the the few like bright spots of Twitter in the past couple of years. I, I'm not sure if I'm um, quite at that level, but I think what first started. Um, I got rid of my Instagram for one because I just felt like it wasn't doing any positive influence, and I felt the need to kind of keep up with at least one, and Twitter or X was much better for me in that I didn't have to take pictures all the time or videos all the time. I could just kind of get away with, with words. And I think it really started last year at the fries or sorry, Safeway. Um, I got paired with Max the, the first two days and, you know, just for whatever reason, Max and I's career, like we were never, we never played well at the same time when he was playing well, I was playing bad. And when I was playing well, he wasn't playing as well. And it was kind of like, um, I was amazed at the following he had at, at Safeway, just the amount of people. Um, we were kind of like the featured group a little bit, but just seeing Max's brand grow was definitely an eye opener. And, you know, Max Homa to, to me and to you is just a, a close friend that I grew up playing golf with. And so I, I think, Playing with Max certainly pushed me to kind of use this and uh, maybe grow the brand or, or just just interact with fans and get my name out there a little bit. 
have you gotten much out of it? I mean, uh, I, you know, your posts do really well. There's a lot of engagement on all of it. There's a lot of views that, that happen, and it feels very informative to, to you know, casual golf fans, hardcore golf fans, and the like. Have you? Has it been rewarding at all for you? A little bit. Um, I get. I think Twitter pays me like an average of a hundred bucks. So <laughs> I didn't that. mean financially. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I've been on tour for maybe seven, eight years now. And I am easily lost as one of the mules for sure. And, you know, me being, you know, Asian and I kind of poke fun of myself at myself. Um, it, it's really easy to get lost as just one of the, one of the 200 other PGA tour members. And it's kind of crazy to me that, you know, just some Twitter posts here and there, you know, I definitely have, you know, a couple people a day, it seems like at a, at a tour event, at least come up to me and say, yeah, I really enjoy your Twitter. And I still feel like it's kind of growing and building. So, you know, maybe in a, in a few years it it can definitely benefit me even more. On a, on a more serious note, I guess, uh, you know, as PGA store stuff uh, continues to change and evolve and whatnot over, uh, I was planning to talk to you about this five months ago, but things have changed a lot in the last five months and all that. But uh, how closely are you following everything that is happening? We played Monday Pro-Am yesterday with Harris English, and he was just kind of like, yeah, man. I mean, he's 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 up there, right, as far as, uh, you know, his his talent and, and, and resume in the golf world. He was like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait till they tell me what's happening. And I was like, man, that's just wild for your career. Where are you at in that? You 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 classified yourself as a mule. I did not say that. Listen, just for the <laughs> record. But you know, it, it seems like a lot of stuff is getting decided for you guys. Uh, and what 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 is what is that like to go through? And how closely are you following it? I mean, I'm along with Harrison, a bunch of other guys that are in kind of the medium to kind of back end players. I think we're just kind of along for the ride at this point. I've spoken more with charlie hoffman in the last few months than i've ever have and because he's on the board and you know i would have thought knows more that's you know going along more than more than certainly me but sometimes he's even kept in the dark i'm paying attention i'm certainly paying more attention to the emails um, that the tour gives us and you know podcasts like you guys who i feel like have better information that have better information than I have. So at this point, we're just, I feel like I'm just going along for the ride and, you know, hopefully, hopefully as I play better, um, maybe I'll have more say in the future. Do you, what kind of faith do you have in, you know, not only, you know, the players that are on the policy board, the executives at the PGA tour, the board, the, the actual independent directors that are on the board, then, you know, Colin Neville is an advisor to the players on this. All that. What, what a lot of people involved in this, uh, making these decisions, uh, what kind of faith do you have in the people that are, you know, you representing your class of player and representing, you know, all classes of players at that level? I guess it just depends on like, what am I trying to get out of this? I mean, I'm certainly happy to be playing on the PGA tour and, you know, with all these changes happening so fast, it just feels like it's a little bit out of control at times, but at the same time, you know, I know guys like Tito Malnati and Webb Simpson definitely have guys like me or interest to heart. A couple other guys probably not Let, less care so. as much, less <laughs> so for sure. Uh, I'm sure you can guess who. Uh, or whom, but, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, it's tough, right? It's things are moving so fast. Um, I think this whole PIF live Fenway sports group, it's kind of like almost a make or break for a lot of these guys um, on tour for, I'm sure Jay is taking it very seriously. And, you know, there, it is like not a small amount of players and people around that think, you know, Jay's not doing a good job or, or that he should be fired. So, you know, I'm sure everyone's taking this very seriously and we'll see how it goes and, you know, whether it's it ends up being great or bad. We'll, we'll just have to see, I guess. I, I sit here on this show and a lot of recap shows, and I I say to uh, you know to to the mule class, if you will, I, I would say out loud, and also I'll say it to you as well, not not directed at, at at what you just said there, but I'll say like, hey, life's pretty good um, for in terms of what you win a fall series event. Luke List won a fall series event and made one point four more than one point four million dollars. Um, that your your class of player gets a lot a lot of starting opportunities, a lot of uh, events you play in. You know, do I, I, I also believe, and I, I think you're going to agree with me on this. A lot of that value is subsidized by the top players in the game that drive the eyeballs that drive the media deals and all that to say, look, even whatever the structure ends up at, I don't think that, that your class of player is going to get, um, is going to lose out on a whole heck of a lot. It might be less in terms compared to the top guys, like that gap might grow a little bit, but I, I'm of the opinion that that gap can afford to grow a little bit. What's your reaction to any of that? Do you agree, disagree with any of that? hundred percent. I mean, selfishly for me, I would sure. like a little bit more access here and there to signature events. Like me playing the Wells Fargo this year was a pretty big deal. I finished seventh, made a whole, whole lot of money, but I am certainly in the camp. Like, look, no one really or very few are buying tickets or tuning in to television to watch me play golf and me specifically they're tuning in to watch the pga tour they're tuning in to watch rory against rom or rory against maybe an underdog maybe me but yeah at the end of the day rory is still the headliner or or rom or or whoever you want to add in there i am certainly happy with you know where i'm at um on the tour i'm certainly happy and selfishly i'd like to be in the in the signature events, but you know, a win here definitely gets you in for next year's signature events. And there are a couple of things we're like not having um, alternates, which I think is truly like a travesty to be honest with you. Um, I think it makes zero difference whether the 51st guy gets in or not. So that is kind of a separate conversation, but I certainly agree with you in that I am certainly happy with where I am. And like you said, like my earning potential doesn't change a whole lot. They're not taking away from our pie and adding it to theirs. They're just kind of bringing in a separate pie for themselves, uh, which is is fine. I, I totally get it. What's your reaction to hearing that there is the potential for equity to be doled out to players through uh, this investment, the potential investment that's coming in, on top of the PIF uh, potential investment coming in, if the framework agreement ever gets agreed to, uh, what, how do you see that shaking out? And, and, and do you expect that, uh, uh, you know, a reward uh, on your end? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to your reaction. I know we're, we're dealing a hypothetical here because there's, there's no details on the deal, but when you hear that, what's your kind of reaction? I'm a bit cynical at heart. So whenever, whenever I hear Welcome like to the show. Equity, Welcome to the show. it's like, I mean, okay. Like if Tiger and Rory get a piece, 
then okay, sure. But like, is the 12th man on the FedEx cup? Like, I don't even know how that even works. Like you can't just make equity out of thin air. It's, you know, there's a certain end sum that you can only divvy up so many times. So that just seems like a bit of, you know, la la land, to be honest with you. Um, Certainly, I'm not going to get offered an equity stake unless I win the FedEx Cup next year. So it's, I mean, it's great if it somehow works out, but I kind of have my doubts about it for sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, the 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 tying the loop on that conversation was just, you know, it, it, back to the question on how much do you trust the guys that are making the decisions, right? Is, uh, you know, it, it a lot of making that equity make sense goes down to how do you come up with the, you know, the, some of the guys that are getting the rewards are part of the, you know, the group that that comes up with this criteria. It just it has a potential to really blow up and be, uh, you know, you know, contentious. But because uh, there's just uh, the word I keep hearing is transparency. Right. And I, I, I struggle a little bit with the transparency part because it seems to me to be really difficult. And listen, the PJ Tour has taken plenty of shots from from us and from all media, uh, you know, but I. I it's difficult in my mind to communicate all of these not finalized things to 200 plus members at varying stake levels. I mean, where are you at in terms of how things have been communicated to you? The transparency thing has been an issue that the players have come up with, you know, Forever. since I turned pro for, for yeah. a really long time. So I think that's part of the frustration of is to see us not involved in such a big matter. But at the same time, I, I kind of get understand your point and the tour's point. Like, we can't let you in on every single phase of this this massive negotiation that's happening. But you know, at the same time, like they are sending way more emails to us, trying to kind of divvy up some of the the grander scheme. Hey, we are working on these things. Like, for example, the email I got today basically didn't tell us anything, but it showed that, Hey, we are working on this and, you know, these are kind of the steps we're looking into and stuff like that. So I, I, you know, hiring Jason Gore and stuff like that, you can see they're making some effort. Um, but like, I totally understand, like you can't tell everyone and honestly, not all of us should have an opinion to be fair. Like we're at the end of the day, we're all just going to look for ourselves and whatever situation we're currently in, that's what we're going to try to, you know, push for benefit like let's face it like we are really good at playing golf we have not we know nothing about making billions of dollars in negotiations and you know kind of going back to that was it june 6th that that canadian meeting where where tempers and and emotions were flying out and that was my next said, question. Take me to that things, meeting. Oh my things were said in that in that meeting. I'm not gonna name names, but I was like, there's there's no way that you should be having an opinion on this. And I'm just I know, like I know one person you're referring to, and I mean, don't even have to say it. <laughs> uh, I was just like, what I mean, this is it became like became so emotional at that point where it just was like meaningless to be there. And I had such high expectations of like, Oh my gosh, like things are going to go down. You know, Jay's going to have to answer some tough questions. Rory's going to be there. And it kind of just was like deflating for the most part. You know, Jay tried to answer some questions. Guys just got, ended up getting 
mad and it was a bit of a waste of time to be honest with you well on a on a completely different note you've enjoyed is a career renaissance is that a, a you know is that a, a fair phrase to say uh I, before we get into that i, I want to know if i if i pull up your data golf page there's a lot of red in the strokes gained off the tee category for several years there take us into what what was going on there and how you dug yourself out of that oh man I mean, it's so red. It might, they might need another color for how red it was back back then. Um, yeah, so I think it's kind of a. I mean, it's 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 a few years, right? It's not like a three month process. For those it, that are, it, yeah, yeah, for those that are not looking at the numbers, it goes for for twenty eighteen minus point one oh seven minus one point five eight minus one point eight four minus one point three one. So four straight years there of losing more than a stroke per round off the tee. And guys like Rory and John Rahm are gaining like a full shot. That's literally, you know, that's not, you know, to me, that's not just a two stroke difference. That's also the, the amount of stress I felt like I was putting on myself during the round. Like I said, it started in 2018. So 2018, I get off to a, not a great start in the year. Um, I'm missing cuts. And if, even if I make cuts, I'm finishing 60th, 70th, barely hanging on. And it's a, it's an know. amazing page for people to go look at. <laughs> it, it, it's it's 20, your 2018 season. I'm just going to do it. I'm sorry. Cut T28, cut, cut, Please. cut T50, T23, cut, cut T57, cut T43, cut 77th, cut, cut, cut T18, cut, cut, cut. Winner of the John Deere Classic on July 15th, 2018. No top 10s uh, before that or after that in that season. A lot of missed cuts and a, a PGA Tour Championship trophy that week, that year. Call about lightning in a bottle. I, <laughs> I caught lightning in a bottle. So, you know, like you said before, I'm not having a great year. And I was working on things with my coach. Um, who I had been working with since 2010. So, you know, I had a lot of success with them in college and, you know, getting my PGA Tour card. But it became, it got to a point where it felt like I was just, we were just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck week to week, just, you know, seeing if this worked, that worked. And at the players is when I kind of decided, I was like, I, I think I'm going to have to make a change um, at coaches. And so at Travelers in 2018, I met with John Tillery and did a couple of days with him, made a couple of changes. Um, Travelers didn't go well. Um, actually, I missed, I think, all my cuts heading into John Deere that year. And so, but um, the week prior, I felt at the Greenbrier, I want to say, was I felt like I was hitting it better. And even, you know, a couple of the players and caddies I was playing with, I was like, no, you, you, you're definitely playing better, but just, just, you just weren't getting anything going. And then John Deere happens. I catch lightning in a bottle. I win by eight shots. I, and part of that, um, a big part of that, obviously I gained, I want to say 13 and a half strokes putting or something like some outrageous number putting. And that's how you win by eight, I guess. Um, but you know, I, I win and I'm, thinking like, wow, this is it. Like I'm finally made the change to, you know, hitting the ball better, driving it better. And so after that, 
starting in that off season, JT and I, we decided to make kind of long-term changes and not like band-aids to kind of patch things through. And, you know, long story short, like for a year and a half, we're trying to make these changes and, and none of them really ended up working out. You know, when you're trying to make these big changes with your swing and especially with the driver for me, you know, you start paying less attention to your short game, your putting and all the ancillary stuff. And so, you know, just kept kind of digging that hole deeper and deeper for about after doing that for about a year and a half. Um, I was like, maybe I, maybe I just need to do something completely different and reached out to George Gankus. And if you kind of know JT and George Gankus's philosophy, like literally polar opposites. Uh, but that was when, you know, Matt Wolf was starting to come on. Like a lot of these guys had gone to GG and, and saw success, especially with the driver. And, you know, I did see some benefits. Like I certainly gained distance pretty quickly. But, you know, my my biggest struggles off the tee were kind of the big right miss, the kind of the right high yaw. And I was constantly afraid of when is that miss coming? When is that miss coming? And even though Gigi and I worked with and, and I, Gigi and I worked a decent amount and I gained distance, I still could feel that you know, that big miss coming at, at any point. Can I pause on that for just a second? Just because uh, it, w- what I, again, I have extremely limited tournament experience, but I feel like uh, it is easy-ish to work on driver stuff on the range, on golf courses at home. And then when you get in tournaments, it is a totally different animal that I don't, I personally, I don't know how to prepare myself for like the feeling of, okay, there's OB right and water left. And I don't know if I can trust my golf swing right now. And I don't know what to do in between starts to build up trust in that kind of what, what is that like to go through? That truly is the most frustrating part for me because I was, if you were, if you were saw me on, on Tuesday, Wednesday on the range, you'd be like, that guy's hitting it perfect. That guy's hitting it totally fine. But then as soon as I would get on, the T on Thursday, you know, so much anxiety and so much of like, what if start popping up in your mind? And I, I thought I had a good mental game, but I, I realized, you know, at this point that I certainly didn't have any tools to, to make sure that those nerves don't turn to anxiety. Cause those are two different things. And, you know, going back to that, the practice and tournament, you know, just, I, would bang balls for hours, you know, trying to figure it out. But it's, it's frustrating because you can't so you start losing trust in your practice. If all this practice weren't, aren't leading to any change on in tournaments, then what's the point of me spending all this time on the range, just banging drivers. Cause it clearly didn't make much difference um, in tournament play. And so, you know, now if I think about it, if I, kind of wrap my head around it for one as a professional golfer block practice or hitting golf balls in the range doesn't do much good for me. Um, and as your skill level increases, it's, uh, it's, you just get, you don't get much out of it. So nowadays I do most of my practice time on the golf course, you know, hitting two ball, West ball, uh, worst ball shots and trying to simulate that tournament, um, feel, but it, you know, it's, 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 it's really hard to, um, to get any of that 
probably the best way to do it was is to you know be in money games and play in play rounds that actually matter to you but when i was at my absolute deepest holes you know i had a hard time reaching out to fellow players and to play or or even like family friends or, or any friends because i was in part like a bit ashamed of like what if they see me hit like a shot so far right and they're like what was that and yeah they don't care but in my head that was certainly a tough pill to swallow at the time and so you know that's one of the reasons why i was in a hole for that long i guess yeah and that's what people that if you don't play in any tournaments like you if we went out and played for $500, which is a significant amount, way more than I ever play for when I play golf. But I would honestly not be nervous to do it. And I stood on the first tee of our four ball qualifier a couple of weeks ago. Four ball. Like, again, not we, I have a partner. And I was totally expecting not to be nervous. And I just freaked out. I got total anxiety over it. I totally different feels. And, yeah, when you just don't have your driver, like your trust that you won't blow it off the planet – tournament golf is has to be is really really freaking hard like really freaking hard and to, you know you went through it for a long period of time and i i hear you talk about it and i hear i hear the our max homa 2018 interview a lot too of hey when you're blowing it off the planet you know you don't practice what else i mean who cares if you're putting for double like why why would i be practicing my putting right now and did you seek max out at all did you ever talk with max about any of the stuff you were going through did you draw any inspiration from how much he had rebounded uh you know so, uh, for people that don't know you guys played college golf together and are good friends so i'm curious on that you know i certainly drew a lot of inspiration from you know not only max winning in 2018 um or in 2019 winning uh wells fargo i think he won in 2019 yep not only that but you know how far he's come in the game currently he's maybe a top 10 in the world or, or something around there, you know, playing on Ryder cups, making massive putts. But for whatever reason, because, because I was like such good friends with him, it, it almost was a bit harder for me to reach out to him, you know, asking like, what did you do? And, you know, how did you get out of it? And also because I knew Max pretty, I know Max pretty well. I could kind of figure out like, how he might have went about doing it um and you know like for your like your guys interview with brendan todd like i remember like listening trying to figure out every second of your guys interview to kind of figure out like what he did to get out of the hole and what can i learn from what he did and, and put it in and you know a big reason why i wanted to do this interview was you know there's plenty of other guys that are kind of going through what I went through, what Brendan went through and listening to your guys with interview with Brendan Todd or, or Max, or, you know, hopefully if they listen to the, this interview, this episode of gaining some type of hint to, you know, get them out of the hole where they can at least, you know, put the ball in play or they find something that can get them out, out of the, the deep slump. It, it, I, th I feel like I hear from guys that, uh, you know, toil around for a while that one thing they've learned about the process of trying to get out of something is, is uh, fixating on what you're trying to change instead of trying to change something new every day. Did you, because you, you know, it takes a certain sample size of learning, you know, this field, does it work? Do I grow off that field five days? Does it feel different five days later versus do I change up how I'm doing it? What did you learn about the process of digging out that, 
say it does happen again, you'll know like, all right, here's how I'm going to address this. I think for one, I felt like I, I kind of know what, why I got into the hole in the first place, which I think is a big deal. Like I found myself playing swing theory a bit too much, like right after my stint with Gigi or during that stint um, with Gigi, I got like enamored with the bowed left wrist and the shut club face and Brooks was winning majors at that time. DJ was playing awesome golf. You know, a little bit later, Victor Hovland shows up with the super close club face and me being afraid of the rightness. Like what's the most logical thing to do at first is to close the club face. And I got totally enamored with this bowed left wrist. Also, and by the way, I'm not the only guy. There's a lot of tour pros that are messing around with that, um, even though they haven't grown up playing with that wrist um, style at all. But so I got enamored with it, and the, I ended up digging the hole way, way deeper than I ever did messing around with that. And kind of coming back to where it started getting better when I started seeing Sean Foley you know, he, he was like the very first guy that told me like, no, like you, you're hitting it right. Why would you try and hold it off any, any more? You need to release it way more than you do now. And that was kind of a, a big aha moment, I would say. And, you know, during this whole process, everyone had been, I'd been seeing a lot of different coaches after GG, you know, your top whoever coaches I've had seen a lot and it seemed like a lot of them wanted me to hit the fade because the you know, fade is generally the more accurate shot off the tee um there's certain other advantages to it like if you hit up on it it's it actually fits more of a fade but Sean was the first guy to tell me like no if you're afraid of missing it right you need to work your hands you need to release it you need to draw it that's the best way to get you out of your phone. And I started doing that and it probably took three or four months for it to feel a bit more comfortable. But once I started figuring out what he wanted me to do, it was much, much better from there. And for the listeners sake, if, if they don't, again, aren't, uh, have your, all your results from this year handy, you finished fifth at Puerto Rico this year. You finished seventh at Wells Fargo, T6 at Schwab, T5 at Wyndham. Uh, and then so far this fall, you've got T18, T41, T23. So you've become, it's, it's a, it's a, I mean, extremely competitive year you had. I mean, it's, it's what, what is it like now getting into competition? Uh, you know, do you, do your feet, like, what do your feels feel like now that you, uh, had this swing working for you in in the heat of the moment. What's interesting, it's I started playing a lot better two years ago, I guess, when I went back down to the Corn Ferry Tour. I think part of it, I've built up so much scar tissue during those days. Like, I'm not just all of a sudden going to be like, you know what? I I know my swing is in a, is in a much better spot. I know what I need to do to hit the ball better. But, you know, those nerves and that scar tissue is still kind of with me and not just me, but, you know, if you play professional golf long enough and you've kind of built up scar tissue along the way, you know, you're never, everyone kind of points to like, I just want to be free and, and play golf. And, and sometimes it's not just, it's not even, it's not that easy, unfortunately. And 
I still feel a decent amount of nerves, not nearly as much as, as I used to. I remember I, uh, I wore a whoop band, like when at the lowest of lows and you would see just these massive spikes in heart level. And, and I remember just being so stressed during that time. Like it's probably not a hundred percent accurate, but I was burning like, you know, 1500, 2000 calories during a four and a half hour golf round because just because my heart rate and stress levels were so high and I'm sure it's, it's way, way lower now. And I have, you know, I've been working with a mental coach to where it's not nearly as, as severe, but it's, I still certainly feel anxiety once in a while. Still, you know, the nerves are absolutely going to be there. Um, but I do feel like I have tools in place to where I can get a better handle on it for sure. Did you pull anything from the Brennan Todd interview in particular? It's funny that you mentioned that because I, when I'm swinging it poorly, I always go back to my arm tension. Like I try to make my arm tension four out of 10, four out of 10, four out of 10. Uh, and I, I still catch myself falling out of that rhythm. Did you, did any of that work for you? In hindsight, it, it did because he, Brendan and I ended up kind of on a pretty similar path in the sense that like he also was trying to kind of close the club face a little bit at um in the beginning of his swing and he and i i think he and i had grown up playing with a pretty neutral to open club face and so we were used to kind of those hands releasing and i think the work he did with bradley hughes is that you know he actually got it back to opening the club face again and your point about arm tension like if it's really if it's really stiff it's really hard to get that free flowing release and um and opening up the club in the first place um so in hindsight like in hindsight i i realized oh yeah you know i am much better like brendan at uh having a neutral club face and releasing it with my hands a lot more um, because so much of the instruction these days is the, is the shut club face, rotate your body, um, hit it like Victor Hovland. Whereas, you know, I was more of the old school, traditional kind of neutral to open club face and use my hands to hit the shot you want. When you say release, I, I, I feel like I still don't know what release the club means. What, what, what does it mean? I, I think I do, but I don't know if I release it or if I don't. What does it mean? So I, it's a, it's a, combination of of a bunch of different things sean also kind of showed me a new way of thinking about release when when i originally thought of release i assumed it was all kind of roll my wrist and kind of use the hands to kind of rotate the club face closed and that's definitely a part of it but also this is going to make some certain people maybe mad but a big part of the release he wanted me to think about and showed me was more of a casting feel at the beginning. Sean hates a lot of lag coming down. It's one thing if, if you're Cameron champ and you just have so much speed that, you know, the club gets bent so much, but uh, for a guy like me, it was a combination of kind of the casting. Um, the way I kind of imagine it is, have you ever seen those uh, that training aid where there's a ball kind of in the shaft and as you kind of pick it up, the shaft kind of rolls to the 
to the hand. And as you kind of swing down, the ball shoots to the club, towards the club. And that's mainly for tempo purposes where you kind of hear the ball get to your hands and, and then you kind of stop and, and then you hit it. But for me, in my head, it was, okay, I'm going to, as I take it back, the ball's going to roll to my hand. And I'm going to try to, in a almost casting and with, I'm going to shoot this ball to the club head as fast as I can and as early as I can. And for me, that helped out a lot because it wasn't, it didn't feel as much timing based as the rotation of the club face. And I, I could kind of with the, do the casting, do the width with my right and left arm as early as I wanted, as hard as I wanted. And it wasn't going to change the club face that much. And it was an, it was a new way for me to release it in, and it helped out a lot. I don't know if I don't know if I should try that or not. I think I, I, that sounds like something that should be done with supervision a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, for sure. But you you had tweeted some stuff. Uh, you, again, you've tweeted a lot of stuff. I don't have. We're not going to go yeah. through all your tweets this, this year. But uh, about some sw- about swing thoughts, you said you, you know something along the lines of despite what people what some think, most tour pros do think about their swings while hitting the ball. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm wondering if you could kind of elaborate a little bit on that, kind of what you're thinking about when you're on the golf course, left brain, right brain, and if there is kind of anything, how that differs from maybe how you practice. Yeah, you know, for me personally, I was never a visualization person. I've had definitely tried it in years past, but I could never go along with the idea of just visualize the shot you want to hit and kind of go from there. I needed something a bit more internal, a bit um, having to do with swing thoughts. And I haven't spoken to every tour player, but I am going to make a guess that most guys have a single swing thought, at least one or two that they can kind of rely on during the heat of the battle. When it's, when you get those nerves going, you, you have something to focus on. And I, I felt like, I hear, especially on Twitter, there's a lot of guys like saying that you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be thinking about anything. Like there's a lot of distraction mental cues that people like, um, whereas, you know, try to think of nothing or, or, or think of your favorite song, hum a favorite song during the round. And those, those work sometimes temporarily. uh, But from, at least for me personally, like, I've tried them all, right? During <laughs> during that five year, four or five year stretch, like I've I feel like I've tried I've tried a lot of them, and none of them, any of those distraction type type deals, never really worked for me. And using the swing thoughts in a good way, not not using swing thoughts, not using them as a crutch, and you using them as a tool. You're you're not guaranteeing anything with a swing thought, but at least you can use it to pursue the shot that you want. And if you can do that, which I think most tour pros do have at least one, you can certainly use them to your advantage. Yeah. I feel like you can go, you know, all right, this is my one swing thought. And then it becomes, all right, well, I mean, I'm going to do this and this now I got two swing thoughts. And then before you know it, you end up at like five and then you go like drop a second ball down back. All right, dude, just hit at the target and you'll stripe it right at the target. Right. There's just a, a fine balance to be, struck there and I'm, I'm i think it probably i'd be surprised if there was even two tour pros that have the same exact thought on this one 
I mean, it's got to be different for every single person in terms of, and probably ebbs and flows throughout different phases of your career as well. Just what you're actually thinking about when you go to hit that ball. hundred percent. And you know, the, the language that we use in our heads are, are so different. You know, I could be saying, you know, tempo and it could mean something for me and it could mean totally different for others. So it's, it's, it's so personal and, you know, what I try to kind of put out on Twitter at least. And after going through what I've gone through, like golf is, it's so personal and it's so based on how your body works and what you like to do in your swing. And especially what your, what your tendencies are when you get nervous, when you have some anxiety that there's, there certainly isn't a one size fits all in golf. You also said some stuff earlier this year about driving distance and how you started gaining more speed and accuracy once you figured out how to decelerate better and not just accelerate. I'm I'm hesitant to ask this question because this one seems like it's going to really put my brain in a pretzel here. But uh, I, what, what what does that mean? What did you learn about that? I think it kind of goes back to me making sure I'm releasing it properly and making sure my hands are pretty active and releasing it. Um. What the problem I had with Gigi was his his thing is all about rotation and then rotation going back. And it's great on certain levels, but I had to make sure I was better at the re- releasing part and getting the hand getting the club past my hands. And the best way I could do that for one is that casty motion and thought that I was kind of going with. But also you see a lot of the a lot of the ground force stuff where um, guys are jumping and guys are kind of twisting as well. But any part of the jumping motion helps you get that force from the hands to the club, whips past it. Uh, To be completely honest with you, that's probably like a Sasha McKenzie question. And it's a concept in my head, which I can't explain like a hundred percent. Okay. Well, so um, it's, it's a concept in my head that probably might not make sense for a lot of others. Please don't, please don't let my questions lead to you blowing it off the planet again. I don't want to put your brain, <laughs> you, you put your brain back, in, back in a pretzel. Uh, a couple of words, again, I, we could go through a bunch of stuff that you said, but you, uh, you, you mentioned some, you tweeted some stuff about, uh, playing with Phil during the 2020, uh, COVID year. And for, just assuming people haven't, don't remember reading that. Take us there. What, what did you take away from that round? It was super cool. Like Phil grew up in San Diego. I grew up for most of my life in San Diego. I was at one point more of a Phil guy than a Tiger guy, just from that San Diego connection. Like I played Phil Mickelson golf tournaments, you know, in San Diego. And I remember the first time meeting, I like randomly um, saw him doing um, autographs at a Walmart for like a back to school type thing. And my dad took me out there. I got a signed hat and like, it was like the coolest thing I had, I had, you know, gotten. And so I, I was certainly a Phil fan and to play with him during the COVID year at Torrey Pines, no less was, was really cool for me, but you know, that had been my sixth year on tour. And so I've seen kind of the older guys and the veterans and 
seen their how their passion for golf, especially if you're in 50th place, you know, they're, they're not 100% into it. And I don't blame them at all. Like, you know, what are you going to gain by trying your absolute hardest? But, but Phil was, it was completely different. The guy was so into it. There was no one out there. It was during COVID. There was two people following us. Um, and I remember we were walking up 16, I think. And it was a perfect day in San Diego. It was just us, me, Phil, and I'm so sorry, but I forget who, who the third was in our group. Um, but, you know, we're walking up 16 and he goes, isn't this just awesome? You don't have some stupid fan like yelling in your backswing or whatnot. And I go, Phil, this is like how it is every round I play on the PGA Tour. Uh, maybe not for you. Um, and so we kind of had a chuckle about that. but. You know, just how into it he had his coach um, with him, caddying for him that week. They were talking about every shot. They were trying to figure any little detail that could, you know, that could help him for for the next hole next week. It was just amazing how much he clearly loved playing and competing in golf. What do you, on a completely different note, and we don't need to do the the long-winded version of this uh, conversation, which is a very a, a challenging one for everyone in terms of the the distance debate. Which again, I don't I don't think we need to necessarily have, but I'm curious as to what what you think is going to happen on this front. Not not necessarily what side you fall out on and what you think should happen. What do you how do you see things falling out? If if you're not up to speed on everything, we're probably going to be hearing something in the coming months from the USGA and RNA on on what the final decision is. They had a, a proposed model local rule that was supported by Augusta national, the USJ and RNA, but not supported by the PGA championship, not supported by the PGA tour. Um, which seems like to me, it would, I'd be very surprised if they ended up rolling it out exactly like they proposed it. But, uh, your kind of reaction to that and how you see things, how, how you predict things will fall out. I, 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 in the ball rule that the USGA have it's a local rule i just don't like the half measures that they're kind of having it's it's not we're going to change every ball it's they're kind of there's like a a line where it's just for the ones that want to have it and don't i'd rather if they're going to roll it back i'd i'd rather have them roll it back for everyone but they're all they're afraid of the backlash that the average golfer like I can totally see it, right? They they missed missed the club, you know, they they thinned the heck out of it and it comes up 15 yards short with a set with their seven iron and they're gonna be like, oh, it's 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 the it's the golf ball. The golf ball is going shorter. And I totally get that, but I just think it just makes such a muddy area like where they where to draw that line if they're going to make that change. Um, but you know, it seems like they're pretty every time they've announced that they want to make changes, they've certainly gone through with it. Um, and so it, it probably will change a little bit, uh, maybe not to the, to the level that they first announced. Um, that's probably what's going to happen, but you know, if, if you know, Rory's going to hit it three ten instead of three twenty, I don't know how much change that actually does. 
Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I disagree with that. I do. I, I think it, <laughs> I, 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 I've heard your argument as well. Like the, I do think it benefits the longer guys, the longer guys are going to, you know, it, it, it's only going to exacerbate driving distance, but, uh, I think it re it reshapes some thought into golf holes for them, right? If it's driver eight iron instead of driver wedge, that's just a totally different golf course. You, how have, I, I say this a lot, and I've obviously never hit a shell on the PGA Tour. Certainly feels like to me, you've been out there long enough. Feels like to me, setups keep getting harder and harder. Pins are farther and farther tucked into corners. Uh, I mean, not necessarily that the yardage goes back every single year. I feel like courses are mostly kind of maxed out on on where they you know want to lengthen them to. But just seems like it gets harder and harder. Whereas like, all right, if 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 it's, it becomes an eight iron shot for the longest guys in instead of pitching wedge, that pin can be in a different spot, and it just changes. You know, it, it might be subtle and not a lot of people are going to notice it, but it will change, have an effect on how uh, these golf holes are played is kind of where I'm. Is it enough to like totally upend the go- whole golf ball market and uh, and flip upset the apple cart? That's probably a that's a more complicated question than will it actually be different? You know, definitely. Um, I remember having this conversation with Charles Howell, my, Rick, my rookie year. There's on the 10th hole at Vegas, there's this back right pin. And it's a short hole. It's like a three wood wedge. But Charles would tell me like they used to never have pins of this severity back when I first started. Now it's now it's it's a, a given that they're putting it back there. And so, you know, there these golf courses that we go to are certainly like maxed out. The pin locations are on threes. They're they're not. You barely ever see fives. Um, and That's certainly the the T boxes are, you know, like the T box on, is it 10 at pebble? Like the one they moved it way back. I'm like, I didn't even know there was, you could even make it there. Certainly these golf courses are stretched out. I just, the whole, I mean, it's kind of going back to the whole thing. I just struggle. Like we play on 40 different courses. Like what's the big deal. And like, I guess the strategy will change, but will every viewer kind of pick up on the massive differences and will it make it that much more popular or I guess that's not even the point, but I'm kind of rambling, but I know it's, it's yeah, there's not a clean answer to any of it. Right. I mean, there's, it's it's complicated. I, uh, uh, I, I we ran a little informal survey on Twitter and basically it came up with 14% of our followers, which I think are the biggest golf nerds and junkies out there. 14% agreed with a total rollback for everybody, right? So 86% of people not wanting to roll back for everybody yeah. yet. So like I, I've, I got to listen to you on the fried egg as well. Like I don't know if bifurcation is the best. I don't love like the idea of pros playing different equipment, but if 86% of people don't want their ball rolled back, then I, I, I Definitely, definitely think something needs to be done at the pro level. Like I, you would struggle to convince me otherwise of that at this point, you know, but, and I, I'm also of the belief that if they just rolled it back and didn't tell anyone, which is an unrealistic option, I would say, well, what, what percent of, of amateurs you've played with in pro ams would notice a golf ball that is going maybe like four yards shorter in the air for them. Like I would guess 90% of players would not be able to tell you the difference. It's, no it, chance. I'm I, I'm a golf junkie. You hand me a rolled back ball and a regular ball. If I if I hit driver off of it, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you off the bat whether or not I miss hit it or if it which one actually flew far that much farther. You know, it's just not that yeah. different. I promise you, like once the new ball comes back or the new ball roll, uh, the new ball comes into play. If it does, 
you're going to see even pros like complain like oh, that that ball is just different and it's just it's, it's 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 i'm i take pride in not like complaining on the golf course i mean guys complain about every little detail yes. like you, you bring in a, a brand new golf ball in the first two years you're gonna hear so many guys complaining about like the golf ball just flew different it spins different like and it might but it but it also probably didn't and they're just gonna blame it on uh, that's just another thing they can blame it on <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I, I feel like they, they may just go ahead and say roll it back for everybody, and they're going to catch an enormous amount of flack if they do go that route. But I, I don't know how you how you change it without having support of the PGA Tour and DP World Tour and even PGA Championship. You can't have you can't have U.S. Open, British Open, and, and Augusta having a different ball than the other events. That's where you just like, all right, what are we doing here? I'm, I'm sure they'll come up with a compromise that, Again, that's kind of like the half measure I, that I personally disagree with, yeah. but well, um, that's, that's probably what's going to happen. And a golf ball eats all of the the blame, and I think the big driver heads are uh, is much to blame, you know. Anyways, but um, let's get you out of here on this. Uh, what's your what TGL team are you going to be pulling for here? What, where are you going to promise your allegiance to? <laughs> <laughs> um. Um. The LA team, I guess. You don't um, even know. We don't even know who's on it. I, I, I've on Twitter. I've seen a lot of the uh, Boston Commons um, team, at least, uh, just the names. Uh, but the whole thing is just kind of funny to me. Like uh, the, I saw the Atlanta team roster, and it's just like, cool, man. We just put four guys in there uh, that has nothing to do with Atlanta or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, but you know, to answer your question, I'm a Southern California guy. I uh, Collins on the LA team is a good friend, so I assume I will root for the LA team if I end up rooting for a team. All right, you are you are on the bandwagon from the jump. No, no one can consider you a bandwagon fan if you're on it from the jump. So, well, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Uh, I speak for the rest of the golf uh, media and Twitter world to say we greatly enjoy following you out there and enjoy all the nuggets you put out there. I think. That's, I love the stuff of even just how, how a week works after you miss a cut and uh, all the stuff you get into with hotels and all that. If you're not all, uh, already following Michael Kim on Twitter, please do that because he's bringing the heat every single week. And uh, we thank you for sending over emergency pin positions while we're in the middle of live shows as well. That's very, very clutch. I could not believe that you guys were like looking for pin locations and talking. I was like, you guys are the biggest golf nerds I've ever seen. And, and uh, for people to be waiting on pin locations, that was, a, that was a new one. But um, we, I just happened to be, we get, we get texts from the tournament. And so I just sent it over. It was kind of funny to me. Exclusive source. So, well, thanks again for your time, man. Best of luck uh, into the new year. And I'm sure people will be following closely and we greatly appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Ollie. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.